Focus on the Family Canada's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive Program is a proven program designed to save couples from the brink of divorce. For over 15 years, Hope Restored Marriage Intensives have helped more than 4,500 couples, and over 80% of those surveyed are still together two years after attending. If you or someone you know is facing a crisis in their marriage, please call Focus on the Family Canada today at 1-833-999-HOPE or visit hoperestoredcanada.ca to find out more. Would like this to have a family. Yeah. To call mom and dad or this mom or okay. this dad. Okay. I don't really care. Oh, listen to the heart of that little nine-year-old boy. Uh, his name is Jordan. That's the cry of every person's heart, to belong, to have a family, a mom or a dad, or preferably a mom and a dad. Well, today on Focus on the Family, our guest is going to share some ideas for you to help hurting kids who are longing for a place to call home. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Uh, John, that little Jordan, that little boy, is in foster care, and he was interviewed by a small uh, news station in Oklahoma. He said that his his brother got adopted, uh, so he's hoping he'll get adopted too. Hmm. I mean, what a heart-wrenching thing to hear, right? But tens of thousands of people called and said, we'd like to adopt that little boy. And that, that shows you the wonderful heart of so many people. Yeah, that, uh, that overwhelming response illustrates, I think, the hunger for people to step up and do the right thing. Right. It's so true. I can remember being that little boy and you know not having a mom and dad, um, hoping that maybe I could get adopted. I was living with my brother at the time. My football coach did ask me if I wanted to go with him and his wife, Joyce, and it was such a kind thing to do, but I thought it would hurt my brother too much, actually, mm. so I said no. Oh. And, uh, you know, God's got his plans for each person's life, just like little Jordan here. And uh, I know a great family will adopt him, and the Lord will begin to unfold uh, that nine-year-old boy's life mm-hmm. for the future. Yeah, he's got a journey ahead of him. And uh, Jim, this is really central to focus on the family. This is reflective of our heart to help hurting kids. Oh, totally. Uh, you know, in Isaiah one seventeen, it says, we are called to seek justice, encourage the oppressed, and defend the cause of the fatherless. And that's right there. Uh, the orphan care effort, the foster care effort that uh, Dr. Sharon Ford on our team provides is exactly that. We're trying to help the foster care system uh, do the best job it can do. And Mm -hmm. I'm proud of the work that we're doing here at Focus. Yeah, and we've got details about uh, all of that on our website. Our guest today uh, is a man with some great ideas. His name is Jason Johnson. He's a pastor and is a director at Christian Alliance for Orphans. And uh, he and his wife, Emily, have been foster parents since 2012. They have four daughters, one of whom joined them. Uh, through adoption. And Jason has a book. It's called Reframing Foster Care, Filtering Your Foster Parenting Journey Through the Lens of the Gospel. And uh, we've got copies of that at focusonthefamily.ca. Jason, welcome to Focus on the Family. Well, thank you for having me. I want to call you like super dad, but I think your (laughs) message is going to be, you know, people that love the Lord can do this. Right. Yeah. Just normal, 
Normal dad. <laughs> Normal dad. I yeah. like that. Let, let's start with your personal story. It's so compelling. When you were nine years old yourself, you got some news that really changed your life forever. What was it? Yeah. So I learned around that time in my life that my dad was, in fact, not my biological father. That was the first time you'd heard that. First time I had become aware of that. And, um, of course, he was my dad and is my mm. dad, and but he just wasn't my biological father. Right. And so that began to unfold a story where as I grew older, I understood the implications of what my dad did at a particular time in, in my life, my mom's life, and my older sister's life. Let me ask you uh, the feeling of that, because, you know, we're talking to mostly adults. I remember, you know, being told my mom had died when I was nine and my dad when I was 11. It, mm. You know, you start thinking, well, what's going to happen? Where do I go? How do I eat? Where do I sleep? In this context, just hearing that your dad was not your biological father, what were those nine-year-old feelings mm. like for you? You know, there was a little bit of... Well, why, you know, why has this been necessary, right? Where, right. where is my biological father? What's the story there? And, but also gratitude um, that this man would step into our story. Uh, in fact, you point to a parallel, and I've used this before as well, um, between what Jesus did for us and what adoption does for a child. And, you know, for every believer, make this connection. Go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, I think ultimately our motivation as believers in all of life is we do what we do because of what Jesus has done for us. Um, and that translates into every aspect of our life, in particular, stepping into the lives of vulnerable children and families. And when I think back on what Jesus has done for us, he steps into our story and he changes our story, past, present, and future. All of it becomes new. Our, our past no longer defines us. Our present reality is new and shifted, full of security. Our future trajectories are full of hope. And on a similar uh, level, we step into the stories of families and children and we say, it doesn't always have to be like this. And you can live today with a security of knowing you are fully loved. And you can live today also with a hope for what the future can look like mm. in every aspect of our story together. Yeah. And that changes. You know, and we're all working in this area to help improve the lives of these children. And I mentioned Dr. Sharon Ford. She worked here in the state of Colorado. Mm -hmm. And uh, thankfully, she's come on staff here at Focus to encourage families to not only consider adoption, but also wraparound care to simply become foster parents because the foster system is so overwhelmed right now and typically always is. You know, they just need more resources. The point of that, and I would like you to speak into this, is adoption isn't the only goal. I mean, it's a good goal, right. but there are other options. And you even mentioned this in your book that um, adoption isn't always the goal for foster care. Right. What is the goal? Yeah, yeah. That's a big question. Yeah, it is. With a big answer, I, I think the goal is that every believer is empowered with a sense of calling and direction as to what their something might be. So we often say this, we're not all called to do the same thing, but we're all capable of doing something. Everyone can do something. And we see that reflected in in theology, the body of Christ, where Paul says, we are like ears and eyes and hands and feet, and we all have different functions, but for the same purpose. And so as we translate that into the activity of the church, in terms of caring for kids and families, we find not everyone will open their home to children, 
But that doesn't mean there's not significant places for other parts of the body to find their something mm-hmm. and to get creative right. in that. Yeah. Do you think it's a good starting point to at least take a step of faith and start praying about what God might have for us in this Absolutely. area? Uh, to begin to pray, God, what's my something? And yeah. to ask for clarity on that and to be open-minded with that, yeah. you know, because it could be that my something might be we begin to take steps towards opening our home to children. It could also be, you know what, the Lord has blessed me with a business and maybe I get creative and I find ways to use my business, my restaurant, or my my repair shop, or my counseling center. How can I use my something for the good of the whole? Yeah. Jason, um, this next question is really to prompt people to think. Right. Uh, when you look at the foster system situation, and we have a, you know about 400,000 kids total in the system, and within that group you have about 100, 110,000 uh, children where the courts have terminated the parental rights. So mm-hmm. they're wards of the state. I mean, the state really is their mom and dad, unfortunately. And they're probably in a, a temporary foster situation until they get a permanent placement and hopefully get adopted. Mm-hmm. Thinking of those numbers on the 40,000-foot view, I think we have 360,000 churches, and these are 110,000 children that need a place. That is troubling that we in the Christian community cannot do more. I'd love to see a New York Times headline that says, Christian Church Wipes Out Waiting Foster Adoption List. Wouldn't that be awesome? It would be. Um, And so in that context, now bring it down to the one-foot level, you and your wife deciding to do this. Uh, Speak to that couple that's listening right now that might be interested, but they don't know how to start. Is it the right thing to do? We already have children. Can we do it? Yeah. So there are, there's a number of things I would say to them. The first would be, um, you know, there's never a perfect time to do this. And so if you're waiting for the perfect time, you'll likely never do anything. There's always going to be an excuse there's not always, to. So here's what we say is, um, I think what God is inviting us to do is to find opportunities to say yes, despite all the reasons we can come up with to say no. And there's a lot. Now, that doesn't mean that we push aside good judgment and wisdom. Um, It doesn't mean that we say, you know what, our family's in turmoil, we're in financial crisis, and our marriage is struggling. We should probably open our home up and do something hard. No, no, we want to be wise and diligent. But we also want to be realistic and understand, I'm very, very good at finding reasons to say no. (laughs) Um, And it changes our prayers in a lot of ways. Um, I think we spend a lot of time asking God for clarity when he's been clear. And instead of asking for clarity, maybe we spend more time praying for courage. Yeah. Yeah. One of the big reasons uh, people don't foster is because they're afraid of having to make this attachment with these kids. And then we're talking about the other 300,000 kids where they just need temporary placement to their family can get their acts together, et cetera. Um, But that is an excuse that people will use. And it's not a, you know, that's a fair thing. You have these kids for maybe six months, a year, who knows, and you bond, and then they're going to be ripped away from you. How do you respond to that caution? Yeah, so I'm glad you brought that up. It is likely the number one reason that people won't foster is that fear acts is that as, a, right? as a deterrent. We hear wow. it all the time. And so I like to legitimize it. It's real. It's What we don't say to people is, you know, if you really love Jesus, you wouldn't be concerned about that at all. No, it's real and it's raw, and we've experienced it ourselves. But it, it also requires a reframing 
which is why we named the book the way that we did, the reframing the way that we think about things. And so we can't let the fear of loving a child that might leave deter us. Instead, let's let the fear of a child never knowing our love drive us. So it's just a reframing. It also maybe comes from a slightly flawed understanding of what the purpose of foster care is. You know, foster care is less about getting a child for your family, and it's more about giving your family for a child and embracing the implications that come with that. And some of those implications are hard, and they require great sacrifice. And if the goal is reconciliation and renewal in their families and with their moms and dads, then it will likely mean that we grow close and we attach and then we have to say goodbye. But we have given our family to this child um, for their renewal. And we got to participate in that with them. It doesn't make the goodbyes easier. It just gives purpose and meaning Mm -hmm. to the goodbyes. It was not in vain, right? We also say this, you know, if you're afraid of getting too attached, and you're using that as an excuse. Not to attach. Not to attach. (laughs) Then perhaps it's better understood in this context. The fact that you know you will get attached doesn't disqualify you from becoming a foster parent. It might be one of the things which qualifies you the most. Yeah. Because that's exactly what these kids need. It's so true. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Word of mouth is the best kind of promotion, and Deeks Insurance is proud to list word of mouth as a secret to their success. Serving the faith-based community with tailored plans and preferred rates for home and auto insurance, Deeks knows the importance of a good reputation, which is why so many customers refer their friends and their family to Deeks Insurance, a licensed insurance brokerage since 1981. If you can't wait to find out from someone else, then visit deeksinsurance.ca to get started with a quote. Deeks Insurance where family matters. What do moms love about Focus on the Family's Clubhouse magazine? I love watching her have so much fun, and I know that every page is pointing her to the Lord. I love that my son teaches me about Jesus from what he learned in Clubhouse magazine. I love watching them get all excited when they run to the mailbox each month. To order your magazine subscription to Clubhouse or Clubhouse Junior, please visit us at clubhousemagazine.ca. That's clubhousemagazine.ca. At Focus on the Family Canada, we're always seeking to meet the changing and growing needs of your family. That's why we've developed our free Focus on the Family magazine. It's spiritually grounded and relevant to your needs. Get your free subscription at focusonthefamily.ca. Find parenting tips, practical marriage guidance, useful advice on media, and encouraging ways to help your family grow in Christ. Sign up for your free subscription of Focus on the Family magazine today. Visit focusonthefamily.ca. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Jason, this next objection, uh, we lived this one, so I'm going to speak from that personal experience we had when our boys were younger, probably Mm. at 9 and 11. We did have two boys that were 8 and 9. So it was a bundle of close little boys. I mean, and yeah. it was tough. It was really rough. I think they're with us for six, seven months. And it really had an impact on one of my sons in a very negative way. Mm. 
Later, we uh, did have a long-term placement with two much younger children, four and two, when my boys were 15 and 13. That worked beautifully. Hmm. I mean, they really took them on as you know siblings, and yeah. they loved on those kids. There wasn't competition. There wasn't uh, yeah. as much fighting about things. But speak to that as well, because that can be an objection. You know, my kids are that young age. Yeah. I don't want to put them in an environment that's going to be harmful. Yeah. Um, those are really legitimate. I'm telling you, because we lived it. And if I look back on it, I would have waited for my kids to be a little older and had the experience that we had with the the second set of long-term placement yeah. children that we had. Yeah. Yeah. So our encouragement to families, and that was my number one hesitation as well. Our girls were six, four, and two at the time. And um, questions of, is it an injustice to them and the time that they're Uh, due from us and the attention that they are due from us? Would it be taking that away from them? And and I'll never forget sitting in an orientation class at at a local agency in Houston, and the instructor comes in, and even before she gets into the orientation, she starts sharing. She ha- You could tell she had a tough week, as most agency caseworkers do. And she huh. begins to share a story of a little girl's file who came across her desk that week. And the little girl happened to be around the age of one of my little girls. And some of the things that she was sharing about what this little girl experienced that week were horrific, as you mm-hmm. can imagine. Yeah. And I found myself sitting there using the age of my daughters as an excuse as to why it wasn't the right time. And then listening to the story of this little girl getting angry inside and feeling the sense of righteous anger. Why wasn't anyone there Mm -hmm. to protect this little girl? I would give my life Mm -hmm. to protect my little girls from, and then, you, you know, God's up there kind of going, ah, is it connecting now, Jason? (laughs) Right. Right. Um, And so here's my point in that is God took the very thing that I was using as my excuse, the age of my kids and turned it into actually the very thing which began to compel me the most. Mm-hmm. I want someone to be there for these kids just like I know I would be there for mine. Now, there's no script for this. There's no prescription for this, right? Everyone's family is different and mm-hmm. unique, and their own kids and their temperament and their needs is all different. And so my encouragement to families is, yes, be very in tune with the effects that it will have on children that are already in your home. Uh, And also understand that we have found foster care has given our daughters a gift that we as mom and dad likely would have never been able to give them on our own. Mm. It has opened their world up to a perspective. Uh, Without a doubt. Without a doubt. They've seen another side of things that I don't know they would have seen if it was just us. Yeah. Has that always been easy? No. Have there been police officers at our home late at night? Um, Yes. Have they seen things that maybe we would have normally gone to great lengths to, you know, uh, insulate them from? Yeah. Do we believe it has made them stronger and more grounded? I do think so. Not because it's been easy, but because it's been difficult. And so I have found through our journey, maybe my job, in my case with four girls, isn't so much to raise safe girls 
as much as it is to raise strong girls. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. That is really, really beautiful. You have a story I want to get to, right. which is the handprint story. <laughs> yeah. So set that up, and yeah. how profound was that for your family? Yeah, you know, it ties right into that, where the effects, you know, initially being concerned about the effects it would have on our girls opening our home to this, and would it deprive them, would it take away from them? But we began to see early on some fruits of this in their own minds, in their own hearts. So maybe we'd walk in and they've pulled all their baby dolls and the paraphernalia out into the living room. And we say, what are you doing? And they're saying, we're taking care of babies that don't have mommies and daddies, right? Right. Or when we were building a new home and we did the typical, uh, put your hands in the cement of the driveway before it dries, (laughs) right? right? And and, uh, there were all six of us there. And uh, one of our little girls I can't recall who, uh, became highly concerned about when the cement dries, how are we going to get any new future sisters' handprints into the hard cement, right? And I assured them, you know, we could, like, cut out a square and repatch it. But, again, it was just one of those little pieces, little glimmers of this has planted something in their hearts and in their minds, and we see little evidences of that um, which are encouraging. Mm -hmm. Jason, that's such a beautiful portrait. Let me end with this question, though. Uh, You say you struggled with wanting to fix each child that Mm -hmm. came into your home. I need to ask this question, because that's where I would be, you know, yeah. what do we got to do to fix and fix? We're fixers, right? Yeah, that's right. What's the problem? And we'll give you a solution. Right. Um, how did you let go of that? And what did you learn in that process? Yeah, this has probably been the biggest learning curve for me because like you said, I'm a fixer. And I think a lot of people that get involved in this, they, they have a vision for what can be. Right. And so we want to get involved in this because we know what can be. And the question then becomes, what happens when what can be and should be doesn't become mm-hmm. or more slowly materializes? And so a couple of points, just real quick for me, uh, is these feelings of inadequacy. Like, I don't have what it takes to do this. And I think that deters a lot of people as well. They see the problem and they see the need and they immediately think, I don't have what it takes to do that. That's for special people spiritually elite people, gifted people. (laughs) That's definitely not me. I don't have what it takes. And so point number one for me has been this, embracing the gift of not having what it takes. Okay. I don't find anywhere in scripture where God calls someone to do something with the expectation that they're going to have everything that it takes to do it. As a matter of fact, I see quite the opposite. So the story of the feeding of the 5,000 has been especially important for me. And most of us are familiar with it, but the disciples recognize an overwhelming need that they can't meet. They're there's, down to the fix-it mode. There's, hey, there's thousands of people here that they need to eat, and so our only solution is we need to send them away. And then Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, rather than saying, you're right, guys, he turns it back around on them. How frustrating would that be sometimes? Like, seriously, Jesus, again? (laughs) He says, how about you give them something to eat? And immediately they look at what they have. We don't have what it takes. And so they somehow commandeer bread and fish from a little boy. We don't know exactly how that happened, but uh, they stole it or borrowed it or bought it. We don't (laughs) know. Let's be on the high side. They bought it. They bought it. Uh, They bought it in a very ethical way. And... They bring it back to Jesus and say, this is all we can come up with. We don't have what it takes to do what you're asking us to do. Jesus does not turn around and say, "Ah, guys, you're right. I'm so sorry to have put you in that position to make you feel inadequate. Um, Let's just send them away. You were right the first time. No, I think Jesus purposefully 
uh, lovingly put them in that position, knowing full well you don't have what it takes to do what I'm asking you to do. Mm. And then he says, he essentially says, just give me what you got, your few pieces of bread and fish, and watch what I can do with it. Mm. I can multiply it to the point of abundance where there's more than enough. And so that kind of leads into my final thing, which has been the umbrella over our journey for the last eight years. And it's redefining what success is for us in the kingdom of God. You know, in the world, success is defined by things we can measure, accolades and ladders and bank accounts and power and position and all of these things. Uh, It's quantitative, right? Uh, And in the economy of God, we see it completely flipped upside down in a lot of ways. And I've gone to Hebrews 11 quite often. The first couple thirds of Hebrews 11 is all about people who, by faith, saw... Uh, the walls of Jericho fall, the Red Sea split, kingdoms conquered, uh, the dead raised to life. And we all say, yes, that's the victorious faith that I want. I want for my faith to produce great victories like that. And it will prove that I've been successful in my faith, right? I've been a successful Christian, okay? And then the last third or so of Hebrews 11 takes a pretty significant turn. And it starts to say that others by faith were sawn in half, They were left destitute in caves and holes in the ground. They were stoned to death. And we go, whoa, 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 I I don't want to read. I want the sermon that talks about the first part of Hebrews 11, not being sawn in half and stoned to death. And then the end of Hebrews 11 says this. It says, all of them were commended for their faith. Interesting, yeah. So here's what I find. And here's what's been especially powerful for us on this journey is that God is far more concerned with our willingness to be faithful then he is concerned with our ability to produce a certain set of outcomes through our faithfulness. Sometimes faithfulness on this journey will feel like the walls of Jericho are falling, the Red Sea is splitting, we're seeing great breakthrough, great healing, great connection happening with these children and these families, and sometimes faith is going to feel like we're being stoned to death and sawn in half and left in caves and holes destitute. And in all of that, God says, well done. Well done. Our journey has been one where we've seen the walls of Jericho fall in some cases. And it's also been one where we felt like we have been stoned to death. Mm. And I can't put my head down on the pillow without holding fast to the truth that God is in the business of producing outcomes. All that he asks of me is to be faithful, to give him what I got, and watch what he can do with it. It doesn't mean that we don't fight hard. It doesn't mean that we don't advocate hard. It doesn't mean that we don't push. But it does mean that we rest in the fact that only God can do what only God can do. And only I can do what I can do. And what he asks of me is to be faithful. And to trust him. Well, Jason, you and your wife Emily and your family have done such a wonderful job. Well done on uh, my behalf, just saying that, and the listeners, too, that are hearing this. Uh, John, I think this is a little different, but, man, um, this wonderful book, Reframing Foster Care, I think we just want to offer it. And for those that can help us cover the cost of giving this away free to those families who are considering what they might do in the foster care effort – if you can help us offset the cost of sending these out to hopefully hundreds of people that will call Focus or uh, you know, email us, 
um, let's do this. Let's get this into the hands mm-hmm. of families who need the information. Well, yeah, and for those who would like a free copy of the book, you'll need to call 1-800-the-letter-A-in-the-word-family. And as always, we do appreciate your financial support of Focus on the Family Canada to help us do ministry together. And you can make a donation uh, by calling or visit our website, focusonthefamily.ca. We'd also like to add here that our Waiting to Belong program in Canada has helped thousands of families to initiate the adoption process. And we really want to encourage you to do as Jason said. Start praying about what you can do and be faithful, whatever God asks of you. Uh, Donate to Focus today. Help a family out in your church. uh, Start the process of adoption. Learn more about Waiting to Belong. There's so much we can do to help you explore that. So again, call us anytime, 800 the letter A in the word family, or online, we're at focusonthefamily.ca. Jason, again, thank you for everything you and Emily have done, and thank you for being with us today. Yeah, well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. And coming up next time, learning how to deal with conflict in godly ways. I think it's the gospel. Um, I like to ask people, when, when we talk about picking up our cross daily and dying, how are you dying in this conflict? How are you setting your preferences aside to allow God's newness of life to walk through you. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.